welcome to Grace and Peace Radio. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. I'm your host, Anthony Russo, and it's my hope that you will be encouraged and God will be glorified. And with that, let's start the show. Hey, everybody. It is great to be with you again. I hope you're doing great. Uh, I am your host, Anthony Russo, and today I was going through some old files because I had I have a whole hard drive full of data, external hard drive, and uh, I almost lost it, and thank the Lord, he let me get the data back, so I was very thankful for that. But as I was going through the data trying to clean some of it up, I found some old audio files of sermons I had preached uh, like 10 years ago, and uh, so I'm going to play one of those for you today. And the story behind it is, at that time, I was living in Orlando, Uh, my wife and I, and we got hooked up with this retiree couple, and they were living at an RV park in Orlando, and they were telling us about how they have a church there, and it meets in the community room every Sunday, and it's not an official church. It doesn't have like a 501c3, and it's, you know, all that. It wasn't incorporated as a church. It was just people met in a community room. They usually had some kind of a student, minister, pastor, whatever, come in and and preach. And so they needed someone for this upcoming season, which being snowbirds coming down from the north, it was typically the the winter months, and then Easter was like their last service. So the sermon you're going to hear is the first sermon I preached there. And then uh, I I stayed with them that winter, spring, and through till Easter. And so... This is the sermon from John 1. And so, like I said, this is from around 2010. But uh, they were, it was such a great experience. My wife and I, we loved it. They were just such sweet people, probably about, I don't know, 50 people in the room at at any given time. And uh, it it was just so much fun. And I thank the Lord for the experience. So, a little bit of a background there. And in the beginning of the, Recording, you'll hear me talking the st- about the story of having dinner with Jack and Bonnie and how that went. So, uh, again, it was just sweet. So, I hope you enjoy it, and I hope the Lord blesses you. I hope you get something out of it, more than just enjoy it. If I can pray for you, shoot me a prayer request. Email me, show at graceandpeaceradio.com. Uh, whatever it is, you know, the show and I exist to uh, serve. So, By the way, real quick, I just want to plug Andrew Rappaport's Daily Rap Report. That's the Christian Podcast Community Podcast of the Week that I would like to share with you and encourage you to go check out. Uh, it's a daily little dose. It's only about a minute or two long of uh, some kind of apologetic. You'll learn something. It's it's always interesting. So check that out. You can go to christianpodcastcommunity.org to hear Andrew Rappaport's Daily Rap Report. So without further ado... Here is my sermon from John 1. Uh, you know, Jack mentioned that uh, we got to go to dinner the other night, Wednesday night, with, uh, with he and Bonnie, and, uh, and we, did, we, had, we had a great time. I mean, we, knew, we knew it was neat when, uh, as soon as they met us, they hugged us, and they, you know, they were, we found out they're huggers, you know? And it, it was just a fun, fun time together. You know, we, um, you know, we laughed a lot. Uh, and I laughed a lot, uh, and I would I would laugh again even if he wasn't picking up the bill this time. So I, I enjoyed myself. So thank you. Uh, this morning, 
I wanted to, to uh, talk about the Word. Uh, you know, Amy just talked about the Word in its written form. This morning we're going to look at the Word made flesh, dwelling among us. Our text this morning, uh, we've got uh, a little bit of time, uh, but it's going to be John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Believe it or not, there is a tremendous amount of information in just this one verse. And we're going to touch on this one and, and verse 14 also, where it talks about the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. Martin Luther said, this book, this gospel, this is the unique, tender, genuine, chief gospel. Should a tyrant succeed in destroying the Holy Scriptures and only a single copy of the epistle to the Romans and the gospel according to John escape him, Christianity would be saved. That's how much depth there is in just this gospel. This book's theme, the overall theme of the book, is an eyewitness account proving Jesus Christ is God. John makes no hindrance to that. That's his point. He says uh, later in chapter 20, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life through his name. Now John wrote this from Ephesus, which is a, a huge port city on the Aegean Sea. Uh, it was home to uh, the goddess uh, Artemis, or Diana, and you read about her in Acts with the, the, the big ruckus, and also chanting, great is the goddess Diana. Uh, but this is where, where John was. Uh, verses 1 through 18 are his prologue. Okay? This is his introduction, and this is, this is really the, the, the crux of it. The whole rest of the book is just an exposition of what he's saying here. He's saying the Word was God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then he takes that and says, well, let me tell you what that is. And he goes for the rest of the book. What's amazing is in the original language, in the Greek language, this verse that John, in general, is written in the simplest Greek imaginable. Uh, many of you may remember growing up with the, uh, the, the Dick and Jane readers, C. Dick, C. Jane, C. Dick and Jane. In the Greek, that's exactly what this reads. In English, you almost get a, a feel for it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it's very, very simple. In, in the Greek, in, in this verse, there's no word longer than five letters. So that's the simplicity that, that he writes with, but yet that's the power, because what he says is mind-boggling. It was mind-boggling to them, to the Jew and the, the Greek then, and it should be mind-boggling to all of us today. So let's look at it. Let's break it down into thirds, uh, how it is here. In the beginning was the Word. Now, automatically, as soon as you read this, you should think, Hey, if, you, if, you, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, and you know, even if, if you weren't familiar with it, we've all heard the term, in the beginning. And John did that purposely, to harken our minds back to Genesis 1.1. Hey, I heard that. In the beginning, God, hey, I'm going somewhere with this. 
And that's what he's doing. He's writing this for, for the Jewish readers to make them think of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was. It sounds simple, but it's mind-boggling. He's talking about pre-existence. In just four words, and we'll look at this more closely, but in just four words, you have an answer to refute two false teachings of our day, at least. Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses that deny that Jesus Christ was pre-existent. But in this whole passage, the word is Jesus Christ. And he's already showing he was pre-existent. In just four words. In the word, now what does he mean by this? Why did he use this picture of the word? This is, this is fascinating. Uh, it's not a word, it's the word. Well, in the Greek, the word is logos. To the Jews, the idea of word, it was their personification of wisdom. It was their personification of thought. Uh, it, was, it was the whole idea of, of, of rationalization of thought. Of, but also, it had to do with power. It was an action. You know, God spoke everything into being. With his word, boom, the galaxies existed. So it was a word action. It, it meant power. So automatically, John's using word here, and it means power. Now, to the Greeks, this was a crucial philosophical idea that went back 600 years prior. And it's a term similar. It means the highest idea of reasoning, the highest idea of, of, of thought, both human and, frankly, whatever else might be out there. We can think of the word logos, and I, I use it specifically not to just throw Greek around, but because I want it to stick in your mind. Tell me something. When you see a truck on the road, and it's got that little bow tie on it near the, near the, uh, the back of it, what, what does that mean? What kind of truck is that? Chevy, right, because that's the logo. And they pay big money every year to defend that logo. And so do all these other companies. Why? Because that logo embodies everything about that multi-billion dollar company. That's what God is saying here. Jesus Christ is the logo of God. That's where we get that word. He is the full embodiment, uh, embodiment of God. So, John, at this perfect time, intersects the all of Hebrew thought and all of Greek thought by using one word, logos, even at, a, at a, what we would say a kindergarten level. And so he says that the intersection of both is God, and then he reveals him as Jesus Christ. You know, in Galatians 4 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come, and in, in Hebrews 1 1 and 2, it says, God who spoke before through the prophets. And so now he speaks to his son, and it's the same idea. The second part of it, 1-1, one, one, B, if you could say, and the word was with God. First of all, the word and, we could spend the whole rest of the time just talking about what we just talked about. But then he says, and, but wait, there's more, and the word was with God. 
With is no ordinary with. It's not like I'm with you now, you're with me now. It's a very intense word. It means full unity. Jesus prayed to the Father in his high priestly prayer in John 17 in verse 5. He says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Full unity. John is declaring. The word is pre-existent. The word has full unity with God. And the word was God. Word order in Greek is very important. So even though this is written on that Dick and Jane level, the word order here is really, and God was the word. Why? Because he was emphasizing. We might put bold there. Or something. He was saying, and the word, make no mistake, was God. Now who is God? Well, of course, he is perfect, he is sinless, he is creator, he is sovereign, he rules over all. He's holy. Leviticus 19.2 says, For I, the Lord your God, am holy. In Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, it says, Holy, holy, holy. The only place in Scripture where an adjective describes God three times. Jumping down to verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is mind-boggling to the readers then, and it's mind-boggling to us today. That God would come down in the flesh. He dwelt among us, we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. What did it look like? It was full of grace and truth. And as I said, John spends the rest of the gospel showing us what it looked like in the person of Christ. And this, mind you, this is just the beginning of the prologue. Read the book. Read the whole book. It's amazing. So what does this mean for us? How, how do we take this out of here today? Well, a few points. Five, if I have time. Number one, God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And to all of us in this room, that's, that's no surprise. We just celebrated Christmas. Uh, but let me give you a, a train illustration of what John is saying here. You know, we live by some train tracks. And I've stood by train tracks. I'm sure many of you have. And you just look at them, and they, they're there. They're, they're quiet. But sometimes, you know, as you can imagine standing there, you might hear way off in the distance a faint whistle. And then it gets louder, and it gets closer, and way off in the distance there's a tiny little light. And then you start to hear noise, and then suddenly from the bottom of your feet, all the way up through the ground, just starts to shake, and you start to shake. And if you can imagine standing right there, right by the edge of the railroad tracks, when all of a sudden this massive train just plows right by, booming by, thundering by. That's what John is saying here in his prologue. Ladies and gentlemen, I stood by the train track. I saw the train. I saw the power of God come by. It was right in front of my face. I beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. That's what John is saying here. 
Now let's look at this in a whole biblical context. What does it mean? Well, it means from creation and, and the fall and sin's effects on earth and men and the flood and battle and God's covenant promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then in Moses and then in delivering out of Exodus when he promised them a deliverance. And through the conquest and through the judges and through the kings and then through the failure of the kings and the exile and then the dispersion and then the 400 years that God was silent. And the last word in the Old Testament is curse. Now a light has dawned. The word of God has come. And he's come to die on a cross. And to be resurrected from the dead. And then we're in the church age now and soon till return and he'll reign forever and all sin will be done away with. So God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Number two, Jesus Christ is supremely God. He's pre-existent. He's unified with God. He is God. He is the fullness of all human wisdom and all divine wisdom. He is the revealed fullness of the image of God. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's supremely God. Number three, Jesus Christ triumphs over false teachings and over the philosophies of men. I don't have time to go into it, but in this one verse, I talked about Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses earlier. In one verse, John trumps five major heresies of the early church. Major heresies that denied Jesus was God, or that Jesus was man, or other, other aspects that, that were wrong. John trumps them in just this verse. But that's not all. It's not just the early church and heresies of then. It's heresies today. It's false teachings today. It's philosophies today. In this verse, other religions are blown apart, just decimated before God. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, the Church of Christ Scientists, the Unity School of Christianity, the Church of Scientology, Unification Church, the Way International, Native American religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Sikhism, Baha'i world faith, secular humanism, and the New Age movement, all of them, utterly decimated by John 1.1. Just one verse. So he triumphs over false teachings and the philosophies of men. Number four, Jesus Christ is our only hope of salvation. Isaiah said he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. We know from all the scripture, he paid the due penalty for sin on the cross in our place. He takes our sin and extends to us his righteousness. The transfer takes place. He is the stronger man who bust into Satan's house, the strong man bound him up, ransacked his house, and won victory for us. He rescues us from death, defeating it. He restores the beauty and the glory of the image of God that God put on us when he created us. He adopted us. He paid for our adoption. We're no longer orphans. He raises us from death to life. He restores our relationship with the Father. We're no longer enemies because of Jesus Christ. Because of the word made flesh. He has made us who went away whoring after other gods, whoring after the pleasures of this world. He saved us, he cleansed us, 
He gave us an engagement ring and he promises us that he's going to marry us. He's given us the Holy Spirit and today he ever lives to make intercession. And brothers and sisters, this doesn't even begin to explain all that he's done. And each one of you could tell me what he's done in your life. If there is anyone here who came here because it's the day after Christmas and maybe I should go to church, I have something for you. I met a fellow at seminary this week. He's not a student there. He, he came onto the campus because he was driving by and he saw it was a seminary and um, he just he wanted to hang out, strangely enough. He, I ran into him and he said, oh, I don't, I don't believe Jesus Christ is God. You know, in fact, if I met him, if you were Jesus Christ right here, I'd just shake your hand. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think he's any greater than me. I wouldn't think that he's any less, you know, that I'm any less than him. He's sorely, sorely mistaken. Jesus Christ is God. He's revealed. He's risen. And he's reigning. This is who you dare to reckon with if you ignore him. And if you ignore his lordship over everything and over you. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Paul writes in Philippians, and make no mistake, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. So if you don't know Christ today, if you're not serving him, your, your, your good works cannot save you from your sins. They cannot pay your penalty before God. You need someone to pay your penalty, and it's Jesus Christ. You have violated the laws of God. The Ten Commandments, for one thing. If you've not kept him first in your life, if you've blasphemed God, if you used his name as a curse word, if you've made an idol out of someone or something, if, you, if you've lost it in your heart, if you've uh, coveted, if you've stolen, these are all things that make us guilty before God. And the only way that we can be cleansed is through Christ. God commands all men everywhere to repent, to turn from their sin and follow God. If you don't know Christ today, you're not standing alongside the tracks like John was. You're on the tracks. And you will be run over by that train. The train of God's just judgment. That's the truth. That's why I'm here. Because I want you to know that there is an escape. That Christ paid to grab you and rip you off that track and save you. If you cry out to him for mercy. To believers... To dear saints, salvation is not a one-time thing. Are you trusting in Christ alone daily? Are you living in holy lives for Him? Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Die daily. What are you watching on TV? Are you gossiping? How's your prayer life? Are you spending time with Him? How's your Bible reading? Y'all are blessed to be retired. That's a wonderful thing. You've lived long, good lives of, of service to this country, 
to service to society, to service to your families. Praise God. You're accountable for your retirement. How are you doing with it? With your time and your talents and your energy? Do you love Jesus for what he did for your Calvary? Is he precious to you? You know, Peter says that Christ should be precious to us. Lastly, so he is our only hope of salvation. Lastly, Christ came to show us the Father and to save and to share himself. And we are to worship him. And Jesus said, count the cost. If you don't know him, you need to evaluate, is this really worth it? Because Christ, he asks for everything. He demands it and he deserves it. And he will challenge and he will break you more than you have, could ever imagine. But he says, he gives you love, mercy, tenderness, comfort, rest, hope, amidst all the trials. All of them. And he will guide you. And he will guide you home. You know, the song goes, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings are mine with 10,000 beside. Briefly, I mentioned comforting death. You know, a young man in his 20s, back in the 2nd or 3rd century, wrote, Death has become like a tyrant who has been completely conquered by the legitimate monarch, bound hand and foot, the passers-by, sneer at him, hitting him and abusing him, no longer afraid of his cruelty and rage because of the victory of the king who has conquered him. O oh, death, where is thy victory? O oh, grave, where is thy sting? You know, in a few moments, we're going to sing victory in Jesus. You wouldn't think that that's a Christmas song, but it is. It definitely is. Because if, if it wasn't for Christmas, if it wasn't for the Incarnation, if it wasn't for the Word of God made flesh, we would have no victory. So praise God. Well, that's our show for today. I hope you'll join us next time as we spend time in God's Word looking at how we can grow in our knowledge of Him, our love for Him, and our service to Him. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, visit us at graceandpeaceradio.com or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash graceandpeaceradio. Until next time, I'm your host, Anthony Russo, and Jesus changed my life.